Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey, listen. Welcome, welcome, everyone, to another episode of One Upsmanship. I am your host, Adam Ganser, and with me is my favorite, uh, my favorite of the Lycan tribe. Of the Lycan tribe, yeah, I yeah, like it. That's I'm right. liking it, and my <laughs> yeah. name is Michael Swain. <laughs> that's right. And Mikey uh, likes it. Yeah, I knew you'd like it. Uh, and uh, we have a special guest with us today. Uh, please announce yourself, sir. I am professional podcast guest and best-selling author Jason Pargin. Wow, he really it, put the shotgun on the table just like that. I like yeah. it. <laughs> what <laughs> tribe of horrible monsters would you, if you had to be a monster, what do you think is most fitting for your brand? Good question. <laughs> I don't. Any kind of monster that looks like a normal person, but that turns into something horrific that is so big in the Resident Evil series, any of those would, would be great. The only problem is with me, I am the opposite. Because I write cosmic horror, and so when mm-hmm. people meet me, they think I will be some co- sort of interesting-looking person or something. <laughs> like I'll have tattoos, or I'll be like yeah. some sort of a, like I will look like a, some sort of a weirdo, and instead I just look like the most mediocre suburban white person. Uh, so it's a case where they expect. It's one of those things where you, you see somebody and you think, "Oh, I'm going to uncover the darkness within." Whereas I am publicly a very dark person, and then you meet me, and it's like, oh, this is just a, a very normal, average person who has nothing interesting about them. You truly are Frankenstein. Not Frankenstein's <laughs> yeah. monster, Frankenstein. Exactly. The boring part of the <laughs> equation. Yeah, the, yeah. the very bad doctor who... <laughs> Yeah, uh, and don't sell yourself short. You're a, you're a stellar suburban white guy, not mediocre. <laughs> he glows. Yeah, he's yeah, he's not he's but, not admitting to the whole thing, but absolutely. In context of this, as I have said in the other episode we've done together, mm-hmm. I've been playing video games my entire life since I was before I could read. I I grew up in the video game era. I was born 1975, and we have had video games since Pong. 
the little tennis. You guys both know what pong is. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a pong, uh, still pong game at the office. Yeah. So I, we, I've had a game in every generation, at least one since then. Um, and also at, for maybe either despite that or possibly because of that, I have very eccentric opinions about video games <laughs> that I, I am very particular about what I like and I am very unreasonable in what I like and what I don't like. Well, let's not hear your opinion just yet because it's not the proper segment. But I do want to ask before we get into the show. Uh, it's I, it's interesting you mentioned like legacy and history of gaming because this is one of the most storied franchises I Absolutely. think we've ever covered. Yep. Uh, how many of the Resident Evil games have you played? Almost all of them. Okay. I never played um, seven. Oh, but I watched it on a stream. I watched somebody beat the whole thing in one stream and thought, why would I spend $60 on something I can plow through in eight hours or whatever? And we will, I know we're going to hit on that subject because that is something that comes up. Uh, but it, it's, that is, I played six. I did not beat it. I played a ton of five. I played four is one of my, I have no idea how many times I've owned that on three different machines. I played the Wii version. I've played, I've discovered every little secret and every, it's in and a out good of game. That game. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then of, of course I, I played one, two and three on the, the various PlayStation consoles. Uh, but it was four where it became I, I before it was kind of an obligatory thing. Like, I'm a big horror guy. These are horror games. Everybody plays them. Four was the first time it was like, oh, this is one of the best games I've ever played. But this is not our RE4 episode. We did that episode. Or we will do it. We will do it. Oh, we yeah. definitely will because that is a staple. But this yep. is Resident Evil Village, otherwise known as number eight. Okay, great. So now that we have the context of uh, Jason's RE background, which I think is a p- important, let's dive in by passing a checkpoint. Which in this game means our daughter was turned into four jars. We got to save her, you guys. She's four <laughs> jars now. Um, so we're wandering into the village, uh, seeing some signs that clearly say turn back, but we're not turning back. We're plowing ahead into the speed run. And in the speed run, we generally ask our illustrious guest uh, to basically give an overview of the game to someone who's never played it before as quickly as they feel like it depends how competitive you are uh jason would you mind doing that start the clock sure if you are not familiar with these games you surely know what they are what you should know is that there is a vast difference in quality and in tone and in style from one resident evil game to the next it's gone through many different iterations resident evil 8 or village with the v and the i and the ll making a roman numeral 8 get it is a blend, as far as I can tell, between the more gritty and grounded horror, first-person horror of Seven, and the more over-the-top and sometimes outright goofy action of the previous three games before that. And it blends together in a way that I didn't kind of like very much, but it's basically you have this hub world and this very grounded, quaint village surrounded by these very exotic horror areas that are kind of like horror amusement park rides almost. Uh, And it all adds up to something that is very short and very weird and disjointed in tone, I thought. Wow, stop the clock. That was almost a rant run, which we haven't had before. 
Um, very interesting and so much I want to dig into just in that little speed round. That's great. So plowing right ahead. Let's go ahead and do rants. We passed another checkpoint. Oh, there's zombies in it. Um, <laughs> Did this thing have zombies? <laughs> oh, I, I don't. Uh, it depends on your definition of I zombies. I think technically okay. everybody in it is a zombie because I think they die. Okay. In transition, right? I, I think sure. so. I think so. I think so. But yeah. Adam, you want to go ahead yeah, and take yeah, the reins for the first rant? Please yeah, go yeah. for it. Player this one, is Adam. where we explain our uh, yeah hot takes and emotional reaction to the game itself. You bet. Player one, Adam Ganser, plugging in. Okay, Resident Evil 8 is a spiritual successor to Resident Evil 4. Um, by that, I mean it's schlocky. It's, uh, it's over the top. It's very linear. Um, it's a Resident Evil game. It's, it, uh, it belongs in this canon. Uh, Jason made a comment about how it's grounded. I think I'm going to toss that out. I do not agree that this game is grounded because uh, every single thing that happens is uh, silly. Very silly. This is the silliest <laughs> Resident Evil game I've ever played by a lot. And I liked, I've liked them all. And I like this one. I, I, I think it says something about Resident Evil's formula that no matter how wacky it gets, uh, I still enjoy the core loop of finding the item that opens the thing. And then, you know, like the, the, the little Zelda gatekeeping stuff, I like it. I enjoy the, the combat, uh, even the boss fights I like. Uh, this particular outing looked great but also it just felt sillier to me for a lot of reasons one of them is that resident evil village feels like slavishly devoted to like tying the lore to all the other games together uh like we got to wrap up ethan's story from seven and we got to connect this daughter to chris redfield who was in the first game and it's like guys i know there's like a legion of fans out there who care about the Resident Evil story, it is utter nonsense. There's a t there's a twenty foot tall woman that you have to like slowly avoid for a good three hours in this game. Don't tell me your story matters. Bullshit. I love that they slipped a scene in where they tell Eth where someone says to Ethan like, "Remember the six months of weapons training you did?" And I'm like. <laughs> I didn't need an explanation <laughs> right. for why I'm I can shoot the gun right. later in the game. They that's crazy. That's, they thought that's the important part, but the part where the the werewolves kind of look at you when they're slowly creeping toward you, and then like bob and weave like they're a prize mm -hmm. fighter so that they don't yeah. take bullets. That part doesn't need to be explained. Uh, anyway, so like it's very stupid. Resident Evil is very stupid, but I really really enjoy the loop a lot. This story. Uh, I gave up on caring about it, and because I gave up on caring about it, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, I think there's something to be said for enjoying the pure erotic schlock that is the first quarter of this game with, uh, what's, what's the name of the woman? The Lady Dimitrisk. Lady, the, yeah, Lady Dimitrisk. And then, like, I enjoyed that the game had sort of variety of horror experiences. Like, there's a very puzzly version. There's a very, like, like the ring version experience there's a your classic mansion going through rooms version like so you know it it was inventive and creative in its way um the last quarter of this not quarter last two hours of this game it turned into call of duty um and that was absurd uh and i laughed but also hated it um and i don't know if i hated it on a level where it made me care less I just hated it. Like, come on, what are we doing? Like, what is this game? Like, let's let's pick a lane here, friends, and do that lane. Um, so I guess I'm being hard on it, but I can't say that in the eight hours I spent playing it that I did not enjoy myself. I've thought about going back and playing it again already. 
Um, so I think that says a lot about its enduring appeal. So that's my rant. That brings us to the center of this delicious rant sandwich. Jason, you already kind of tipped your hat, but uh, what did you not like about Resident Evil Village? Well, what I had said about it being grounded, I probably didn't express myself very well. The way it's set up, there's a central hub that is the village. Mm. Like, you are returning to it. When I say it's grounded, I mean, it's style. It is literally a series of, like, run-down houses and tables with, with old rotting food on them and weeds. It looks like a hyper-realistic actual village in a, some run-down area. And then you will pass through a gate and you will be in a giant, magical, whimsical dollhouse. <laughs> so <laughs> it, the central hub is like, well, here's the style of Seven, where it, it's like this is like a, the hills have eyes type of setting, right? It's it's a rural, you know, t- trashed, abandoned ghost town. And then through each of these four gates or however many there are, I think there's four main ones, at the other end of it lies this giant fish man in his fish world with you know this whole big silly minecart puzzle or, or whatever it is extremely extremely jarring because people still talk about this as like a horror game there is one sequence that is horrifying that i think everyone who has played the game knows what i'm talking about we can talk about it later but otherwise trying to get any sense whatsoever of what tone this game is going for is impossible I, I, you know because it's certainly most of it's certainly not scary and it's certain like lots of it is clearly intended to be funny but then there'll be body horror stuff and then there's all this like emotional through line with this family and a lot of it depends on you having played seven which i didn't myself again i watched it but a lot of the like the emotional through line and all that is kind of assuming that you care about this guy. And since it's a first person game, you never see him. He has no personality. It's weird trying to figure out what they were going for. His hand wounds are his personality, Jason. Yeah, I, that's <laughs> his like, hands take th- a lot of abuse. In they this really game. do. Like one thing that I, I'm going to say this. I'm going to hold on to it because uh, okay. I don't want to interrupt the rants. Yeah, should I wrap up rants real quick oh, so no, we can yours, get into please. it? Please, yeah, yeah, please. Okay. Um, my rant is that I agree with what both of y'all said. I don't think it's scary as much as it does know how to provide tension, and it's the same the trick it's been pulling since RE2. It's the simple tension of there's a thing coming at you, you have to constantly avoid it while you're accomplishing all your other tasks. On top of that, you got to avoid this thing. Um, I'm happy that we laid out the hub world and the and the setting because I really want to dig into that. But I really enjoyed the game in terms of like the fun factor i would call it an eight out of ten or a four out of five i guess because i have to reduce the fraction or it'll bother me um so (laughs) i do think it's it's exactly what adam it's it's funny i'm i'm glad i went last in the rants because jason basically represents my stream of conscious thought as i'm playing it like this is not that seems weird that clashes (laughs) this is not good but Adam hit the nail on the head when he said, I stopped caring and was like, this is really, really fun. Uh, And I did ultimately have fun specifically because of the stupid shit, meaning like the fact that the tone clashes is totally valid and makes the story feel completely disjointed. But the fact that 
the fish man's level is completely different than the doll maker's house, uh, is completely different from Lady Dimitrisk's mansion, which is basically just wants to give you the vibe of RE2, you know? Like, it almost felt... Okay, I'll get into it in Game On. Um, but I actually found that highly refreshing and variable. Um, but I don't know if this will scan for anyone listening, but I like the band 10CC. So I like sudden <laughs> random changes in tone that are jarring. To me, it it gives off a collective tone that is weird, and I really like weird. Like, I like tonal mismatch, because it's almost like, man, why'd you do that? I would never have thought to do that. That's interesting to me, um, unless you're doing it as, like, a cheap gimmick. And I think Village rises above that just slightly. I did, I did wonder, and I hope someone can fill me in on this, if we ever found out, because, okay, spoiler alert, if you want to skip ahead, three, two, one, Ethan dies at the end of this. Did he ever get his daughter back? Can someone answer that? For, did yeah, we yeah, find she the survives. Yeah, right? Okay. She survives. She grows up. Yeah. She, gro- she grows up. She grows, okay. Yeah, she's yeah. raised by Chris Redfield, presumably. All right. Sorry. Okay. So that, that was clear, and I'm just a dummy. But that was the last outstanding thread for me. There's so much I want to get into in Game On. So let's pass our checkpoint. And get into Game On, which is where we just talk. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. (sighs) Good one, Dad. Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I just wanted to say, sorry, I'm taking the third ranter's privilege of launching the Game On conversation. Um, there's there's what? There's Lady Dimitrisk. There's four. Yeah. There's Fishman House. Yep. There's Dollmaker. Yeah. What is the fourth the one to- that I'm not? Tom Waits with a sledgehammer 
guy. The oh, steam, right. Of steampunk Magneto guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah steampunk yeah. factory with the propeller uh, bo- mini boss. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so to me, this was almost a seasonal experience, meaning like, you know, games nowadays will have certain games that are supported continuously and they have seasonal releases of, uh, of, uh, new content. I would love an ongoing Resident Evil village where the village was the hub world. And it was explicitly like, look, this is just a horror amusement park. You want RE2? Go over there and fuck with Lady Dimitrisk. You want this experience? Go over there. You know, in three months, that path is going to lead to a new place and it's going to be underwater zombies. It's just like, I actually think RE has achieved kind of its truest form by being a zombie amusement park. Because the thing about Resident Evil is overall the series has been tonally inconsistent. Absolutely, It's a game that will completely change the level of seriousness with which you're supposed to take the situation. Um, most notably 6 to 7. But like, yeah, going from this, I remember loading up 7 and being like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what is this? Did seven I get was the wrong scary. game? 7 was legitimately scary, uh, yeah. which is why I liked it. Like I, I, this year I went because of the pandemic. I went back and played like I don't know four of these Resident Evil games, and there's like two or three of them that are genuinely scary, and I those really stand out. I think. Uh, and then it's almost the alien aliens thing, because then there's a handful of them that are really rip ass action yeah, yeah. games. Yeah. This game never ever seriously attempted to be scary, even the part that's like the weird you know nightmare doll. Uh, even that. Yeah, so for for people who haven't played, just the part that it's funny because everyone I hear talk about Village says, you know the part I mean, but doesn't say it. So just to lay it out there, there is one of the four levels. You it features creepy dolls that teleport around, and there's a moment where suddenly out of nowhere, around the corner comes a giant grotesque fetus yeah. like baby thing and the voice acting to me i think what sells it is the voice acting there's yes. something primal about the sound of a baby crying that affects the human brain and this pitched down distorted baby crying sound is genuinely unsettling and everyone who's played the game goes oh you know the scary part and they mean that part yeah and and it's pretty it's pretty kick-ass i i was impressed remind me to tell you something about the sound of a baby crying crying as a horror trope like uh, later just remind me because i'll remember it uh sure you know the uh the government has experimented with weapons that's exactly what i was gonna tell you so oh okay go ahead I, i had a friend who like worked in uh he was in the army and like basically in some kind of psychological warfare division and like he told me that what they used to do when they were going to like invade or like you know occupy an area is they would blast with their speakers hours and hours and hours of a mix of women crying and babies screaming and then like mix in a few minutes of sex sounds and just like relentlessly on a loop because it just wore down the opposing uh occupied force which is like very upsetting, but like, what is the schmear of sex sounds? I, I think, wonder what's the psychological like, reasoning behind that. I think it, that? T- it makes them tune back in. You know what I mean? I think it, it's like one oh. of the, like it just sort of a, like it arouses their brain back to listening to it. Is oh, my understanding? That's so 
cruel. Yeah, yeah it's like, yeah. oh, now I uh, am redrawn into listening yeah. to it for a second, and then it becomes yes. a horrible screaming again. Correct. That's yeah. <laughs> that's that's great. I mean, he literally told me that's what they used to do, and this was like I don't know, twenty years ago. Uh, so yeah, I I read some article about some like sound cannon that used distorted baby crying noises to make people like vomit at a hundred feet. <laughs> like that's <laughs> you can point this sound cannon at them and it makes you physically ill. Unbelievable. Uh, Unbelievable. Yeah. So, uh, but Adam, you were saying that that you said even that one didn't get you that much or what? What was your experience with the fetus? No, no, it was f- the, I never, I was never scared. I would say I was like, oh, like it got a, like the tension. The blood started pumping a little bit more with the the baby stuff. Uh, Do we want to be scared from Resident yeah. Evil? Is that the promise? Yeah, I think so. Ideally, um, I think there. I think people forget how Resident Evil One. It is schlocky, but it's in like the late nineties. So like we accept a certain amount of schlockiness that doesn't feel dumb. Like it didn't feel dumb as dumb as it is now. It mm-hmm. didn't feel that dumb in nineteen ninety eight. Like, when you go back and play it, they have a lot of things that are, like, legit tragedy um, and not a lot of stupid stuff. They have some stupid stuff, but mostly it's not, uh, like, for instance, they have that one girl who grows up and, like, they chain her, they chain her arms together and stuff and, like, you have to fight mm-hmm. her a bunch of times. Uh, like it's just, And, like, that's a tragic story that you actually do learn all the pieces of it. You know, mm-hmm. and it's sad. Uh, like, I, and they, I think that game took itself seriously, and there wasn't horror mo- games like that at that time, right? Like, they didn't exist in the way they do now. So, like, well, and it's it's an interesting legacy only because the horror of Resident Evil One and Two was that the controls were difficult to use. Yes, that was definitely that was part, part of, it. of it. Part of it. Yeah, and they can't lean on that in the modern era because people won't really accept it. So it's been interesting to see it evolve, like the way they restrict. I mean, I guess now it's and this is in our Ratchet and Clank episode we talked about game economy. I do find that something that the RE team generally nails is ammo balance. Yeah. It's it's very. Uh, like weirdly satisfying slash frustrating how often in all resident evil games i realize i i they time like they uh they aligned the amounts perfectly i have just enough bullets to get through this boss fight and then i and i end with zero bullets like well played (laughs) they uh they also slow you way down that's another thing that this franchise does to compensate for needing it to be harder like you can't run at a normal human speed. Like I'm not a I'm not a light or fit man, and I could run laps around Ethan Winters at the Ethan speed Winters. he runs. It's like, come sure. on, man. Like, uh, like they so they do do things to make it harder for you to act like a normal human being would, uh, and more cumbersome to like solve these problems. Um, Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, that's a that's part of. It. I mean, Resident Evil Seven solved it by basically nobody who was really scary could die. You know, and well, that was like, okay. oh, you know, yeah. Let's. So now I want to hear from Jason, who explicitly didn't like the fact that it's four totally different games attached to a hub world. Uh, what's your favorite Resident Evil, and is it does it have tonal consistency? Is that the reason? I don't know because I now wonder if I went back and played four. And five, everybody, people hated five, but it had the co-op. And like me and my wife played through it together and we played a ton of it, played a ton of mercenaries in Resident Evil 5. Like that's a game where 
the mechanics, the weapons, I thought the weapons were satisfying to use, the animation of the when you would shoot a zombie in both those games is so satisfying to shoot and kill stuff. Just the basics of moving and shooting and collecting stuff from boxes, all of that, I, I loved it. Now I wonder if I go back and realize, oh, I can't move while I'm shooting. Yeah. that That's something that didn't. It's the same thing. You know, why I played Resident Evil 1 on the PlayStation 1, which I probably rented the, rented the console back then, you know, that was an era when the graphics were such that you were still using your imagination. Mm-hmm. So there's this pixelated zombie coming very slowly at your pixelated cop character, and you've got four bullets, and you realize that you know it takes three headshots to kill it. In your brain, you're imagining a real zombie coming at you. This is why we could play an Atari 2600. It's a little blocky character, but you're imagining that that little blocky character is Indiana Jones or whatever. So you were it was it was scary. Like it was a scary game back then in my mm-hmm. youth. Now. Of course, it has to be photorealistic, and I don't know. I don't know if it's, it creates some sort of an uncanny valley thing, because I've got I have no idea how many hours I have in four. But four is a short game. You can beat it in I don't know how many hours. Not that many, but I've got a ton of hours just in playing through it, playing through it, and all the different weapons that I you unlock on multiple playthroughs, all that stuff, all the collectibles, did all that stuff. This game. I did not feel like I got my money's worth out of it because some of these levels feel very small and feel very short. The The giant lady's castle seemed pretty big and expansive, but the dollhouse feels like two stories of a dollhouse, and it felt like I got through that whole thing in just a few hours, and there's only four, and then you fight the main boss, if some people are, if you're listening to this to make a purchase decision, if short games bother you, then keep that in mind. This is a short game. And, and like I did not, I tried playing Mercenaries mode, which for people who have never owned one of the games that has it, it's basically just like an arcade experience where you go and shoot. You have to like rack up streaks of, of zombies and, and shoot them, kill as many as possible. And you have a time limit and you kind of unlock new things by doing that. It didn't do anything for me. The shooting, just for whatever reason that I'm not smart enough to identify, it just didn't feel satisfying or fun. The enemies felt too bullet spongy, yeah, they were spongy. I guess. Yes, they were. Uh, and it just didn't do anything for me. So I don't have many hours in this game. Beat it in, I think, two weekends. And for, a, I think... Maybe I don't know if the PlayStation 5 version is $70. Please don't quote me on that. I've accepted that as the new price point. But either way, it's a full-priced game, and it just didn't feel like there was much there. It takes about eight hours to beat this game, uh, roughly. Between eight and 12, I would really? say. Really? Yeah, yeah. Is that... Okay, I think I took more like 12, but okay. Yeah, like, I, I think my first playthrough was like eight or nine um, I can go back and look, but that's short. I mean, that's like Call of Duty campaign short. Well, you know, that you know? open. it's interesting how we've diversified the what we get out of games because I happen to know that this game is very popular to speedrun because sure. of that. Of course. So there's an, it's interesting that there can be different things that people want out of a game that are at odds with each other. So, like, I know a lot of people at work... Uh, just because I work at a video game adjacent place who are into speedrunning, and 
they were super pleased that RE8 is like, a, you know, it lends itself to that, not only because it's short, but because of the variety of gameplay and the fact that there's a bunch of gated elements that if you know what to do, you can zip through and, you know, unlock the gate and get there earlier and shit. Um, and also, most Resident Evils will tell you how long your first game was. Meaning the game itself right. knows that it's inviting you, yeah. you for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, Resident. That's the thing is like Resident Evil. This game feels like in some ways very honest about what Resident Evil really is. Like you know, they're giving you all the tropes that you expect, but also it's like, look, it's dumb and it's fun, and we've tried to make it as hooky as it can be, so that you'll play it a bunch. You know, like it, like it, mm. it's a video. But that's a what's video interesting game, is you know. But seven wasn't dumb. No, that's seven. What's just interesting to me about it as a franchise is I wonder how they decide when to be dumb and when to try to be serious. You know, it seems like they received feedback from people that seven was too scary. Like that seems to I, be like what the feedback they got was, which I'm like, no, no, never. There should never be a too scary in Resident Evil. Well, it is the only one that I have not played because it was too scary so well, maybe that i mean <laughs> so they're looking for a general audience right this is like this is your pg-13 blockbuster well do you, you fellas know? generally go in for survival horror like did you like alien isolation do you like that feeling of being oh the thing is chasing me yes i play resident evil games in spite of that i play i my complaint about alien isolation which one day i'll expound upon on one of these episodes i'm sure is that it's too long. But otherwise, I thought it was a great game. I've played it twice. Um, I love, I like this feeling when it's not stupid and hard to control. You know, like Resident Evil's right on the line for me. I get very annoyed by anybody who's like trying to justify the silliness of it by saying like, no, 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 it all ties back to Umbrella. Okay, so let's go all the way back to episode one. Umbrella was a company, like that kind of shit. That that mm-hmm. sort of like trying to weave the like using the narrative to explain these game choices as though that was consistent. I'm like, no, all of that is no. I I can't accept any of that. Uh, but the but like being scared, yeah. Being like it being difficult to get away, yeah. I love Dead Space. They're rebooting well, that. That's and I'm what excited. I mean. Like, you know? yeah, yeah. Just in the way we were talking about the fundamental from experience of finally beating a boss that you've done a hundred times. I feel like the core experience of seven, but not eight is the thing is coming. Oh my God, the thing is coming at me. (laughs) And I don't really appreciate that feeling very much. I don't like the prey feeling. Um, so I kind of play them in spite of that. What I love is shooting zombies, uh, in a like evocative environment. How about you, Jason? You like being scared? The way I always thought the Resident Evil games were supposed to work is that the first time you play it through, these enemies feel unstoppable, and each time you barely get out with the skin of your teeth, that you had six bullets left and it took five headshots to kill this thing. But you power up, you level up, you buy new weapons, and then it lets you play the game over again with all your stuff. And now it's fun because all these things that tormented you earlier... You're just toying with them. You're you're planning landmines where you know they're going to spawn. You're launching them across their, the map in hilarious ways. So it kind of fed both the fear. And in fear, again, I it, fear in a video game is different from fear in like a movie. It, it's more sure. the tension of, you know, this is difficult. You know, I can't afford any mistakes. That feeling in this game 
when you have one shotgun shell left and the freaking werewolf does that dodge move where the it's dodge, head. Man. Yeah, the bob yeah. and weave. You have to hit yep. a headshot. Yep. And so they've programmed in its head to jerk aside in a single frame, basically teleporting out of your sight so you waste your shotgun shell. And it's that feeling of you're mad at yourself. You're, you're So the idea is always that you get that, and then as you power up, the satisfaction of the power fantasy is in you remember the fear from earlier. A game mm. like Seven, as I understand it, and a game like Alien Isolation, as I understand it, is that... It's just it's just fear of like you're escaping, you're hiding. It's slow, it's tense. It's a different thing. I, I never thought of that from Resident Evil, and when I watched people play Resident Evil Seven, I never felt the desire to go actually do that for myself. It, it didn't. It just didn't seem like. I don't know. It, it felt like a smaller game. And again, I get the appeal that that's a lot of what I want out of a horror movie. I always prefer smaller horror films. But in a Resident Evil game, like the lore is so big and weird and silly. And as somebody mentioned earlier in this very podcast, that if you were to sit down and read the story of Resident Evil from beginning to end, it's just a carnival of madness. <laughs> well, so, with weird sections where it seems like one author tried to take it seriously for one season and then they threw that out again. Yeah, they were always yeah. in this last, they were always making this last set of three Star Wars films. Like it's that disjointed and messy and unplanned as a whole from the very beginning with with this franchise. So, for example, like the baby level, the baby. Okay, so you turn this corner. There's this baby. You try to run away, and it's the first time you play it is probably going to eat you because it's not clear what you have to do to escape it. But there, I felt like there was an exact specific. Thing the game wanted me to do, which is go into a bedroom, hide after X number of seconds, the baby goes away, you go back out into the hall, there's a specific detour you take, it will go the other way, and then that gives you just enough time to get to the elevator. It mm -hmm. felt like there was zero freedom on my end, or because you have no resources. This is a level they take away all of your guns, all of your tools, everything you've accumulated and upgraded is gone in this dollhouse level. And they did that to make it scarier, but... It also, I felt like it completely took away any freedom. So after the baby had eaten me twice, all fear was completely gone. Now I'm just sitting there in annoyance, clicking to the map saying, oh, okay, I guess I have to cut through the kitchen and that will let me bypass the baby. It's like, what? Do, what is the one thing this game wants me to do that lets me get to the elevator? It's not like Dead Space where it's just more, you're picking your strategy, you're picking your weapons, you're trying to, am I overwhelmed here? What's this new horrible thing, you know, and how can I attack it? Or, or, you know, it's not that where you're like able to choose some kind of play style or anything like that. It felt like almost like an extended uh, quick time scene where it's just here's the specific twist and turns through this hallway you have to take and that's it. Yeah, it definitely I, I feel like Resident Evil doesn't expect you to get stuck on any part longer than one to five lives. Right. Like it's it's never like like. Well, that's what's so unique about seven is they were more like there were long sections where they were free roaming the halls and it was a true AI. You know, it was right. actually a character roaming around. It could come at you from different angles, which I guess Lady Demetrisk still achieves that. 
uh, a lot easier. She was a lot easier to deal with than the previous well, versions the most, of that. That was like the most traditional Resident Evil segment, right? And that's why it was the first part of the game. Is it was like almost a look back. A village in a way almost seems like a celebration of the franchise. It does. Yeah, you're, I think you're totally yeah. right about that. Uh, I think that was the goal. Um, that's interesting to me because it makes you wonder. So, what's the next? Is it another reboot next, or you know, I mean, what's nine? What's off limits for Resident Evil? That, I mean, to me, this game decided every single thing we want to do is in canon. Like, if they were like, "Hey, next Resident Evil is going to be Aliens," would that be like so crazy, or would that be like, "Okay, that's weird, but sure," you know what I mean? Like, well, I, it would be weird, but I might accept. Right, like. Um, Jennifer kept walking by and saying, is this a zombie game? Because I think as Jason alluded to, it's not even that. I mean, it's just monsters. It's like not clear that they're they're certainly not traditional zombies. And it's all kinds of shit. As we said, it's giant fetuses. It's a zombie holding an airplane propeller. It's all kinds of shit. Uh, And it's all just like hodgepodge together in a way that Resident Evil has, I don't think, has ever crammed as much disparate stuff into one package. Side note, uh, my wife, once upon a time, years ago, referred to Resident Evil 4 as that suitcase arranging game. Because <laughs> every, oh, yeah. every time she walked past, I was Great. trying to figure out how to fit all my stuff into my suitcase. And it seemed to her like a game that was mostly about a guy packing for a trip. And that is a classic <laughs> inventory management like that that form of organizing your suitcase is pretty unique to Resident Evil and maybe the one thing that is in every Resident Evil game. Ultimately, yes. yeah. This the suitcase it's, is the one persistent character. It's the most consistent I, element. I actually yeah. think Chris Redfield seems to be and like uh no, they that's keep true. bringing they love him Chris. back. Uh I I don't know. Uh He was a dick in this one. He's a dick all the time. It, none of them matter. Like he's he's just whatever they need him to be, you know what I mean? Like I don't know, I don't want to get all uh, just like grouchy about it. Um, I'm looking through a list, like just a, a curated list of best horror games or scariest. Oh, we're horror very games. different. I'm looking at porn of the Duke. <laughs> um, so congratulations. Uh, you'd be surprised how few of these games are actually scary. Uh, there's a, like like there's a game called Soma that I've never played, but I hear that game. Soma fucked up. is scary. That's the one that I was gonna say yeah. immediately. Soma is scary. I've, yeah, yeah, I've heard that one's <laughs> fucked up. Also, I've never played Silent Hill, uh, but I hear Silent Hill is legitimately disturbing. Have either of you played that? I have played it, and I think it would have the effect where it's hard to go back in time and really experience how scary it was when you first played it, but I did play it when it was fresh and new, and uh, as Jason was talking about, your imagination fills in some of the blanks. It is scarier than Resident Evil for sure. I'll give I mean, it that. It's just interesting to me. like Resident Evil's a more fun game. One of, one of the staple things that these horror games do, and this game's guilty of it too is like they find a way to impede you so that you can't be a full-fledged functional person uh or like you just don't have the the tools to manage what they send at you like outlast for instance is a first person game that's very much like alien isolation that's like you know you got to creep around and you never have any weapons and i think that might be why resident evil is so successful because they're like look you know we're gonna make it a little easier than these other games, so it'll be less scary, but you'll have more like, but it will be more fun for you. You know, I I, mm-hmm. I think that's where they they this game is sort of a declaration of that, right? Where it's like we're not really we're not really that worried about scaring you so much. We're really more worried about you having a good time. 
so we're going to do like some of the tropes, but also, you know, once you've done this game once, those <laughs> those boxer style lichens aren't going to be a problem for you anymore. You know what I mean? Like they just don't care right. as much. Either you ever play PT? Nope. I hear about it all the time, but I've never played yeah. it. The Hideo Kojima abandoned horror game that's supposed to be the scariest game ever made. I think things that get canceled become legendary. You know, there's a mystique to sure. that. It got abandoned and then a leaker found the code and you can play it and it's supposed to be really scary. So I don't know. So, maybe we just haven't had the, maybe we need kind of a horror renaissance in gaming, you know, cause it sort of, well, it seems that's like, my, what would that be? Well, so I I'm don't in know. a bad position. I don't know. I have a prodigious imagination and I'm easily scared. So I do find Jason, you were saying, well, when the thing comes at you, it's not like you're really scared, but, but you're, you're tense. I'm really scared. <laughs> like I really, I really feel wigged out when, uh, for example, in the in two remake when Mister X or whatever his name is is constantly coming at you. It really bothers me. I hate that feeling. It feels exactly like I were in the you know in the savanna and a predator is behind me. I just I really I my skin crawls. Um, so. On the one hand, I'm a pushover. On the other hand, I question if for uh, people like yourselves who who have a strong separation between, well, this is just a video game, can it ever truly be scary? Like, I have that about film. After a certain age, I was like, I can't. A horror movie is... It's it's always a movie. There's just no way around that. There's no way where I won't remember that it's a movie, even for a second. Um, so no film can be after the age of like 13. A horror film can't truly like get under my skin. Uh, what gets under my skin are like I don't know documentaries like The Act of Killing about genocide or whatever. Right. You know? And not in a not in a thriller way, like in a like no. upsetting about the content. Like, way. Oh boy, yeah. life is dark. Yeah. Do you? Yeah, are y'all ever scared by media anymore? Or like, Jason, do you get scared by books when you read cosmic horror, which I assume you do because you write it? Does it scare you? Horror is extremely subjective. And and it is, when you talk about being scared, you're talking about a combination of a bunch of very different emotions. So like movies think that if they startle you with a loud noise, that that's the same as scaring you. They call it a jump scare, but you weren't scared. You were just startled. Because mm -hmm. a, a thing jumped out and made a loud noise. So things can be disturbing. Things can be, uh, you know, unsettling. You can create dread. I felt like in like Half-Life 2, the sight of the little head crab things when they're loose on the ground, that created dread for me. Just the, the, seeing them. But there, the nature of like player freedom, I think, played into it. So I think I would probably find Alien Isolation scary. Because there's a game, that's a game where you're on your own and this thing can is kind of randomized when it shows up or what its strategy is going to be and you can hear it coming or you hear signs of it or you detect signs of it. Like, I don't know how you would describe the emotion I feel, but it would be different if I was reading a horror novel and there's like a child hiding from a thing that's in her house that used to be her mother and now it's clearly not her mother anymore and, it's, mm -hmm. and she's hiding in a closet and she sees like it's feet out under the crack of like the dread and fear I would feel there where I'm fearing for this child and fearing for this character is different in a video game where I'm 
controlling the person and it's just me and ultimately the thing i'm afraid of is i'm gonna have to play this level again <laughs> like it's the fear of a loss of progress like we use the same word to describe the emotion but it's extremely different whereas the same thing like i can watch a horror movie and be disturbed by it if the monster is weird enough or whatever but the mm -hmm. horror i feel watching a documentary um like you like that use of the act of killing or any of those it's a completely different emotion. It doesn't, it's not the same. One is trying to tap into something kind of primal. The other is kind of like revealing something to you about the the world. So yeah, I I, I feel like the, the creepy baby in this, this game, I legitimately found it scary and awful and wanted it to go away. Like I was trying to mm -hmm. get away from it because it's, it's horrifying. The it's animation just, of getting eaten by it is especially it's, rough. Yeah, yeah. It's just that, it is in terms of the realm of a video game like this where it's so linear and it's so like, okay, I've been eaten twice by it. Now I, I, I've seen it already. I want to move on to the next thing because there's no mastery of the, the baby eating section. It's not like in Horizon Zero Dawn, the first time you see one of those giant T-Rexes, the Thunderjaw or whatever, mm -hmm. and it seems insurmountable, but then later in the game you figure out how to cut the missiles off its back and then use them against it. And like you develop a strategy and you develop like a proficiency. In this game, you never even get to kill that baby, which made me mad. You escape the room and you take an <laughs> elevator out. It's like later I get I get a grenade launcher. It's like, well, I want to go back and kill that Let baby. Let me kill, kill that, that fucking baby. baby. Let me kill it. You, can't. you yeah. can't get back into that, that house. It's like, well, if I was there in real life, now I'm all armed up and everything. I got all my stuff. I'm going to go kill that baby. I'm not going to leave it down there for somebody else to stumble across it. Yeah. But I, I don't know. It, it's it, that's, that's so subjective, and I would never tell someone else it's scary or not scary. It's going to depend on what you find. It can, your own personal personality, your your own trauma in life, like all of those things factor into what into what hits you. It's just in this format of a game. I don't know. It feels so puzzly because it's like, mm -hmm. okay, I know there's a werewolf outside this door. It takes four headshots with the shotgun to kill it. The game gave me exactly five shotgun shells on the table. Grab the shells, kill the werewolf, move on to the next thing. I never felt like I had freedom to like choose a play style or really anything else. It's just everything is just a, a puzzle that you saw. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, you just pointed out something really interesting about the difference between video games and movies. And that is video games have to give you an experience that you're going to repeat. And movies don't. Like for a movie to be scary, it needs to scare you once. And you never have to go back to that. Whereas a video game and in fact, can't. Often films rely on fleeting images that your brain, you know, it's scarier because it's you can't get a second look at it. It's scarier because it flitted and by you didn't and the movie really went get on. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like video yeah. games are, as you said, like uh, you're going to have to play it again. And ultimately, that's what you really get frustrated by. Right. So like in, in the, the macrocosm of what is scary right in the in the great spreadsheet of scary like dark souls gets a lot scarier right cuz you have to keep playing it over and over and over uh but i think that for a game to be considered scary you have to sort of basically describe your first playthrough of it like did it get you the first time cuz if it did that then it's quote unquote scary and then after that... Yeah, I wouldn't judge a joke on, well, the fourth time you heard it, did you still laugh? I'd ask, when you first heard that joke, what did you well, think? Well, I think yeah, being, similar. being scared, it seems like we're saying, is ultimately a disposable emotion. 
like as a as entertainers, right? Like that's a that's a sensation you're not going to be able to create from the same experience twice. You know, whereas like it's an emotion based on around novelty, I think, in some fundamental way. Yes. Novelty and surprise. Novel whereas like if you're making yeah. a like even a comedy, you might get a laugh the second time when somebody knows it's coming. Like or in a drama, you you are much more likely to get a residual like, ah, oh, you know, like, yeah, I remember this part. and It's good. Like like they're actually anticipating the emotion that they're going to get, yeah. even if it's diminished. Or like a resonant truism that just stays true, and, and people like it always. Like that's why, is no, you know, as I've grown up, as I said, I can no longer suspend my disbelief to the point where movies will really truly terrify me in the way that they once did. But you know what still gets me every goddamn time is Pixar elegantly saying love is good or friendship right. is good. Right. Like that still resonates just as hard because it's true. And it's not disposable and it's not based on surprise. <laughs> well, and I think that's, I mean, this is a long way of sort of summarizing what I believe is the motive behind Capcom's decision to pivot into schlock this time around is like, I think they kind of know that even if they get a scare experience, that's not what players are going to walk away with. Be like, yeah. You know what I mean? I think they're going to walk away and enjoy more the sort of like, blockbustery entertainment value and the puzzle experience of it and like the gatekeeper Zelda solving with the items piece of it then they are like ooh I guess I was really scared by the 12 foot tall vampire woman who was chasing me around the mansion with the long fingernails you know yeah but well, I think I, go ahead my beef with this game and the reason I would not give it a terribly high rating is because the actual the action stuff, the movement, the fighting, the guns, the the weapons, the gunplay, and all that, I did not think that was done very well, or I didn't find it very satisfying. And I, I kept feeling like, well, yeah, but they're, they're nerfing it because they want to up the horror. Like, they want the lichens to be scary, so it takes a bunch of bullets to take them down, and, and you don't have very many bullets, so that's supposed to be scary. But I don't interpret that as fear. Mm. I just interpret it as I'm not having fun it's the same reason i abandoned doom eternal i i didn't like running out of ammo that didn't seem like a game where running out of ammo should be the obstacle it should be about movement and perfecting your your aim and the weak points and developing how you attack each thing and instead it's like oh no you don't have any bullets for the gun you like to use like that didn't happen in the last game you did that to try to make it harder but that's not the kind of difficulty i enjoy but that's completely personal taste again i'm I don't like difficulty in games. Uh, that's one reason why my my opinion of video games is so weird and and bad in general. Is I don't I don't get I don't get the satisfaction out of difficulty. But like I, that's not that weird. I mean, like there's a lot of gamers who, especially I think once you're like, there's a lot of debate right now about whether every game should have an yeah. easy mode or if it cheapens yeah. the experience. I mean, yeah. we were talking to your friend Zach Ryan from IGN, who's on Twitch. Uh, and he was saying that he plays most of his games on easy mode because he just wants to have the fundamental experience. And I'm like, yeah, what's wrong with that? You know, like, it's it's about entertaining you. So, like, why shouldn't, like, why is one, yeah, I mean, I, that's just to say, I think Even a lot of people Even in the case of that. a From game, you don't think it's antithetical to the goals of what a From I mean, game this is? Man, I don't want to get on a whole other thing about it, but I just beat, it is I a beat whole Dark other Souls. <laughs> and, I, and, like, I understand why people love Dark Souls, uh, and I'm playing more Dark Souls, but like also Dark Souls is fucking cheap. Like Dark Souls cheats at you all the fucking time. 
So like, yes, I, I agree. With don't that. think that I like, I will say like, I, okay. Very brief tangent. So like one of the hardest bosses, probably the hardest boss I've ever played in any game was in dark souls one. And it's like these, it's like these two dudes. One of them is a big old guy with a hammer. And the other guy's a, a tiny guy with a spear. And you have to play them both at the same time, which is impossible to do even when they're low level baddies in dark souls. And like, I played it a hundred times probably. And I did it on stream, and like by the end of it, before I finally beat him, the street, the the audience is like, you know, just like don't, you know, you know what I mean? Like maybe set it down, man, or like you know, just play something else. You could play something else, like because it naturally fatigues you, right? And so then yeah. when I finally did beat it, it like I like I literally let out an inhuman roar because I was so like like so much adrenaline and anger at the game for making me do right. it over and over. Um, so like. I don't think that that is a good thing. Like I like I admit that it was very it was like, "Oh, I did it." But like I was fucking right, mad. But so is, I was fucking mad I mean, for a while. Should you wear your shoes too tight all day right. just so you can take it, them off and be like, "Ah, oh, my feet feel better." It felt like nipple clamps and I don't like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's like, "Oh, this isn't my kink." You know, like maybe some people are really into that shit, but I'm not. You know, but you can't have nothing there. The whole point of a game, most kinds of games is to have some kind of challenge, right? Because that makes you feel like there's growth pushing forward on the controller. Otherwise, there's no growth. You have to grow by overcoming things. There have to be obstacles. But again, like what's the entertain? Like what's the entertainment value of an amusement park ride? It's just like I, it's just like the thrill yeah, of guess, having, the experience of it, right? Like the general thrill and the experience of it, and it's over then. But then why have a controller? Why not just watch well, streams, which is enjoyable in its own way? But I'm just saying, game games are interactive. That's why streams media. exist. Like I think this is why Twitch has exploded, is because actually yeah. maybe we don't need these games to piss you off in order for you to enjoy it. Maybe they can just play themselves and like a player piano, and we can watch what the game. I mean, is. honestly, you know. Yeah, and I get no. So I'm saying I get what people get out of that. I just certainly, I mean, I wouldn't be doing this podcast if I didn't. I get a lot out of doing it myself too, and I do think no obstacle is uh, is less pleasurable. It's weird because I'm an anti from games guy yeah. for the most part, but I do think a stiff challenge is part of what I'm looking for from my favorite games. I, mean, there's I don't human... want it. I want it to slowly break down before me. I don't want it to just roll over. Yeah, there's a human joy in mastering something. Right. That's yeah. Know, whether it's playing pool or shooting a basketball or anything meaningless like that, there's a human joy in like I could not do this before and I can do it now. I could not make this shot before and now I can. You get a little pleasure chemical from your brain because you have improved. But this is a thing where it often just comes down to how much time you have to play a game. Right. You know, you guys love the game Hades, I think. I played through mm -hmm. it enough to beat the guy, Hades, once. And I realized it, when it happens, like, oh, what you're supposed to do is beat him like 500 times. And then each time you steadily unlock more. It's like, no, no, no. I'm I did done. it. Yeah, I've, I, done I, it. I've done yeah. it. Yeah. I, I did it and, and like I proved to myself that I could do it. But the idea of like trying to go through and unlock all of the many, many, many different little upgrades and stuff and, and all that. And it's like, no, I'm fine. And that's, that's just a schedule thing. That's, you know, the fact that they built a game that you can play for years and years and years is amazing. That's an achievement. And the way that it's, it could be as short or as long as you want it. There's something really special about that. I particularly, my tastes 
I don't enjoy repetition in games. And if you make me play a level 100 times over until I beat it, I don't get that little brain chemical of satisfaction of, oh, I was bad at this game before, now I'm good at it, I have accomplished something. I, I have too many bills to pay. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh my God, I, I actually spent two months getting good at this game. <laughs> it's like I could have been doing anything else. Yeah. And that is not anything against people who take, everyone has stuff in their life that they do what what is growing a garden or something where it's it's about the pride and accomplishing it. I I don't have anything against if you saw the guns I own in Borderlands Three. Like I have the rarest best guns that I got by farming bosses until they dropped. You know that's I chose to do that. But most of the time, most games can't ensnare me in a loop like that. And when Resident Evil Village was over. I felt no, like I briefly, because there was a thing where you could unlock like a pistol with infinite ammo is one of the many things you could unlock and then try to go play it through that way. And I just farted around a little bit, but it's like, no, it's just Well, it's and that things. is the hope, yeah. yeah. And I would love, I'll tell you what this is making me realize is I would love a new game plus in From Games. So that would be a way to do I the I think you can. Like I you, think you do you, get a, yeah, can I think you? so. Can you be like, now just fucking roam uh, through and plow? I think, no. They, it's, feel the satisfaction. It, no, of, it scales up. Uh, it scales up. Like, they never give you... I mean, I would like, if I, if I really discipline myself and beat Dark Souls, I think it would be a tasty treat for them to be like... Now we'll pull back the facade and roll over for you. You just you just go wreck shop. Like you earned it. You beat the the hard hard. Well, the game. funny thing is, like you earn easy mode. I, and I know we're not talking about from software, so but like you can if you want well, we to, are. like go from the very first fire like fire pit right and like or bonfire, and like kill all those grind dudes and grind and grind. like with your mighty yeah. weapons at the end. Uh, you can't kill the bosses again, but like. I think From Software believes, no, 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 the game is always about being a little bit ahead of you, and then you have to master this thing. Like, it's all that's what it's about. Um, thankfully, Resident Evil's like, no, 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 we don't care about any of that shit. Look, we're going to call a duty right at the end here. You know what I mean? We don't care. I think I like the Resident Evil vibe better, but that's personal taste, I had, for sure. I was much less frustrated playing Resident Evil than any From Software right, game. Sure. Uh, and I wanted to play it again, so I don't know, man. Like, is it really worse? I, I liked it, you know? The the beefs I have with this game are mostly, I think, me being a weirdo. And I still, after playing video games for however many, you know, 44 years or whatever, that I'm not very good at them. For example, <laughs> in this game, when you first arrive at the village, one of the first things that happens is you encounter somebody, and then you it, it, there's a the section that people refer to as the lichen ambush, which is where you are, you somehow trigger like more werewolves attack you than what you can deal than with. Than have ever been. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> yeah. It, it's a, yeah, it's yeah, an yeah. unwinnable level. You cannot kill them. Or if there's a way to do it, I, I can't fathom what it would be. Okay. Because you have a pistol at that point, And then in the middle of it, you find a shotgun and like three shotgun shells. And, it is an unwinnable level, and the first time you do it, there is no way, you have no way of knowing that it is unwinnable. So you're going to burn through your guns and your medicine trying to kill them, and then eventually something Lose. triggers a cutscene yeah. that makes them relent. To this day, I've tried that level many times. 
I don't know specifically what makes that level end. And the, I kept dying. And I kept thinking, well, what am I supposed to do? Because the first time, it's really cool. Like it shows you you can barricade a door with a shelf and they try to like break through. But it's like, okay, I barricaded this. I'm going to go upstairs on the roof. Now I can go down here. And I'm like trying to map a path like, what am I supposed to do? Am I going to find a room that's got a bunch of ammo in it? I can barricade myself in there, fight them off. Like, I, And I could not figure out what the game wanted me to do. And what it turned out the game wanted me to do, as far as I can tell, is that there is a timer that runs, but it does not run while you're barricaded in a house. You have to go outside, and a clock starts ticking. And I think you have to go stand in the proximity of this gate that cannot be opened. And then if you stand there long enough, it makes the attack end. Like I died to that a few times and eventually got so angry. I just stopped and looked up on my phone. What are you supposed to do here? Right. And then it's like, Oh yeah, you have to go outside. And then after you go stand here and eventually they'll leave. And it's like, really? <laughs> like that's because yeah, yeah. And, and like the game, the game element. Well, the designers are expecting the bulk of people will naturally do that, but not everyone. Some people will uh, have the weird experience I where the game just won't progress. The gate is like painted red. So you, yeah. like, I guess are supposed to want to go running for the gate, but I wasn't thinking in those terms. And then it's like, well, now wait a second. Did I waste all of my bullets and my precious bandages? Like if you can't, shoot your way out of it would i've been better off just conserving is there just like one running, that you yeah. have to fight and the rest you just you're just trying to avoid until the time runs out it annoyed me because it seemed like the wrong kind of difficulty and the, the difficulty is just what do they want me to do here what does the developer what is the lever i have to pull that makes this end where it never felt organic at all like i'm actually in this situation having to outsmart these creatures it, it just felt like well it, the the fact that it's a game bled through well yeah such an interesting challenge when you're trying to build an, an artistic experience that involves human free will and variability like that is so crazy about gaming in it's, general because in a film you know you have the cherub or the drama that you're following and you're trying to control what they're thinking about or what they're looking at at any given moment imagine trying to do that but they're holding the camera it is it's such a challenge i mean that's why so many games land on the yellow things the thing you grab like i mean this game yeah. did that too. the red splash of yeah. paint on the door it, is supposed to clue it's, it's, you I, in. it's yeah. directing the eye i mean like that's the that is the ultimate challenge of for filmmakers and for uh game designers is like making sure the thing that you're supposed to do is the thing that pops that stands out. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I actually remember it now that I'm thinking back. I also got a little bit that jammed part. up in that part. Yeah. I remember that part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like they they messed that up. That part will jam you it'll, up. It'll jam <laughs> you up. The first, it's your first real experience with the game because up to that point, it's stuff that's just barely interactive. Right. You have this very, very long sequence where you're just at home with your baby and you have to carry the baby <laughs> upstairs. You cannot... You cannot make the character move faster, and then you get in as you're being transported somewhere, and then it's you have to walk through this path, and it's all very direct, and it's all trying to set mood. But first time it was pretty cool; the graphics looked great. And then I tried to play through it a second time. It's like I don't even want to do this. Can this not be skipped? Can this seriously not be skipped? And the answer <laughs> is no, it cannot. But the thing you mentioned about the little artistic ways that these days that games like show you like what's a ledge you can grab and, and that kind of thing that actually is by far my biggest problem in this game and it is something that i know for a fact 
most people will think I'm crazy for saying this. There is a well-understood thing in games that you are playing, whatever, Final Fantasy, and you're playing a wizard that can summon a meteor from heaven and and destroy a creature the size of a skyscraper. But if you encounter a locked wooden gate, you can't open it until you get the key. Like, of course, it doesn't make sense. And we all, we all accept that that's just video games. You can't progress here until you find the key. Like, the game shouldn't have to belabor that point. The graphics in this game are spectacular. If you had taken this game and shown it to me back whenever, whatever year I would have been playing Resident Evil 1 on the PlayStation right, 1 that sure, I rented yeah. from Hollywood Video, wow. whatever year it would have wow. been, if you take back and say, hey, this is what Resident Evil 8 is going to look like when you're 46 years old and still playing video games, uh, I would have said, why am I still playing video games at that age? And I'd be like, none of your business. Like, like It's like, this is what it's going to look like. I would have been, I said, that looks like a movie. Like, that looks like I'm playing a movie. Okay. In the hub world, they wanted to borrow the aesthetic of Resident Evil 7, which was a very grounded... I keep using that word grounded. I just mean that it looks like something from our world. Mm -hmm. It is photorealistic. You're in a house, like a house. If I go back home, the rural area I'm from, when there's a a lot of abandoned houses in rural areas, is like, this is what it looks like. There's stuff that's rotting. There's mildew on the wallpaper. There's the wallpaper is peeled in places. Like, it is amazing. So you have a hub world that works like a hub world in a video game. You have doors and gates you will pass that are impassable until later in the game. It is understood in the world of games that this gate won't open until I get the key, and I'm not going to get it until later. But in this game, it looks photorealistic. And so you will have a case where, oh, you can't get to this part of the hub village because this alley is being blocked by a tractor. And this game and you like walk no, around the tractor, when, climb over the tractor. In real life, it looks very much like you could just not just climb over it, you just walk over it like, like a child could do it. It's not, a, it doesn't hit strike my eye as a, an obstruction. And it is a problem because, in the case, when you're trying to navigate and explore that hub world, you are looking for the thing. Like, there's a place where you have to like go into a stable and find like a hole in the wall and crawl through it. Yep, I had times. tremendous. The worst parts of the game were the hours spent wandering around the village looking for and there holes were a few. and shit. Yeah, yeah. there's a few times. Visually, it wants you to believe like you're just. There's one case where I had to crawl through a window. It turned out that and go into a backyard because it turned out that backyard was not accessible by any other means other than going inside this house and crawling through one. Had one of those wells back behind it. Yeah, and that's the only way to access it. But there are many other windows you cannot crawl through. And I just assumed that you couldn't crawl through windows because there's other windows that look like they could be opened. You can't crawl through them. You can't shoot them. You can't break the glass. You can't do anything. This is a game where the graphics are so good. You will enter a dining room and there's like a table and there's fruit on the table and a bowl. And the way the lighting affects, it's we talk, I know that you get in stuff like ray tracing, that kind of thing, and it's very technical. What it does is is it makes surfaces look hyper real because when you see the way light glints off of like varnish on old wood, it really looks like an old wooden door you could run your hand across. Like it looks like it's there. It does not look like graphics. And next to it is a lamp with a lampshade on it and the lighting coming from the lamp illuminates the room. Then if you pull out your shotgun and you shoot that lamp, nothing happens. (laughs) 
because that ramp is not breakable. And again, I think if the developers of that game were sitting here, they would say, you're an idiot. That does not affect the game whatsoever. When have you ever been told you could shoot everything in a game? But you have to understand that what the hyper-realism you spent so much money perfecting does to my brain is it convinces me that this is a real physical space. And then I shoot the lamp, and all it does is it makes a little black circle because the, the lamp hole. can't be destroyed. Yep. Yeah. That the ornate vases that you can break and get stuff out of, I found that out by accident because I accidentally shot one because you before that encounter many vases that cannot be broken. And it's arbitrary mm. which ones you can break. It's a weird kind of uncanny valley situation. And Capcom is an old enough company that they seem to have... I feel like Capcom shows that problem a lot. They don't care. They're like, games are games. Um, but this problem is cropping up more and more. Uh, I think we've talked about stuff adjacent to this, at least on this show. Uh, God of War was a big culprit for me. He so often can't step over a shin-high yes. like yep. mound of no rocks. Yep. Yeah. There are entire puzzles where you are up on a little platform and you can look down and see the thing you're trying to get to. You could just hop down to it. And you're there God. There's an, there an, <laughs> an invisible wall there. Yeah. And here, this game, like the, the central experience of the hub, is literally just trying to figure out does this low fence represent an invisible wall or does it represent something I can hop over? And I did not enjoy exploring the hub. Where is it that hub had been like a huge facility where there's like a big steel door or even um, there's like a magical field protecting it or something. There's vines. There's big, scary vines that cannot be, you know, if you get too close, they they kill you. Something where there's a fiction for why I can't pass it. But when I see stuff like that and it's like, I just can't hop over this fence. And even though it's clear that any adult man, even with hands as mutilated as this guy would be able to do it, I perceive that as difficulty because I I struggled to navigate that hub world because it was never visually clear which gate is utterly impassable and which one I can just push through. And your map doesn't tell you, or at least I not very well. And I just found it frustrating. It's like, it's not clear where I, like, I know I'm trying to get, I know what, you know, boss I'm supposed to fight next because they told me, but to get there, I have to find a key and to get the key, I have to go to a certain house and to get to a certain house, I have to find a fence I can hop over or something. And I just didn't, I didn't enjoy that at all. And it's a case where part of why I didn't enjoy it is because it looked so good because it looks like I should be able to get up there. And they're expecting you Mm -hmm. to look at your map to show you where, what real life places are fake or, or like openings for you. Like that's the expectation is like, well, we've given you a map. The map is there so that you would know, Oh, there should be parts are like, you see that little alcove there. That means there should be a door there. Well, my eye doesn't show me the door. Yeah, but the map's there for that. Like that's that's the logic that they're applying, which you know violates the sort of fund the primal your brain sees and understands experience. But I do like. I mean, for a while, I've I've been calling Resident Evil games turn turning rooms blue because yep. that is very it satisfying, is very satisfying to turn the room blue. I mean, <laughs> I always wondered at what point in 
playtesting, they added that feature of, okay, it's safe to stop looking for stuff in this room now. So that, <laughs> imagine the nightmare of never knowing that you found every item and looking in the room over and over. Yeah. Did they? Yeah. That's the question is like, were they almost done with the game? And did somebody like some testers freak out? Oh, this is like, fucking please, killing me. I'm getting yeah. killed by zombies every day. Please. Uh, yeah, that totally makes sense. You know, a game uh, doesn't have these obstacle problems. Uh, Breath mm. of the Wild. I'll just keep pointing it out. Breath of Climb that's, anywhere. Yes, that's why everybody loves it. Because it doesn't have these arbitrary gates like this, except for your stamina. But, you know, that's a more believable... That's an on-premise gate. I'm sorry, I just love Breath of the Wild so much. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I, f- I famously hate that game to the core of my... I think it's... <laughs> I think that game is is hostile to the player in terms of of your attempt to enjoy it. But that's a case where, again, personality is everything. And like what you, the first time I tried to climb in Breath of the Wild and it rained, it's like, oh no, you can't play the game for a while because you have to wait for the rain to stop. Like I did not experience that as, oh, the the environment is alive and I have to adjust i just got really mad that that the developers wouldn't let me play the game until it stopped raining in their game it's like well i paid for it it's like i should uh but no it's we could do a whole other yell at each other i have yelled yelled at friends about breath of the wild uh that's not a joke uh and you're that is a well, it may have been. Was that the very first no, episode no, of the no. show? I had I a think, private argument with no? Tom Ryman about this when we were playing games. Once I was like, "Dude, you're wrong about this," and he had exactly the same opinion that Jason does, uh, yeah. which I love. You I love be, that. But that's see, that has everything to do with this. Is why if you're working in the world of game design and you don't know much about like brain science, you're behind yeah, the curve. Yeah. Because, for example, in my case, it, you know, opening a chest and getting the rewards out, like in Borderlands, the, those games, that never gets old for me. I, I will open chests all day long. It, it does something to my brain. Well, and when Breath of the Wild announced to me, hey, if you open this chest, you're just going to get a weapon that's going to break in three strokes. So there's no, <laughs> like, I didn't get the yeah, chemical reward from opening true. the chest. Like, there's a thing when you'd go into the little temple things and solve the clever puzzles. And there's always like a little bonus thing because like, oh, look, there's a chest up on that cliff. If you if you really ninja your way up there, it's like, well, yeah, but it's just going to be a bow and arrow that's going to break in three shots. So why bother? That Mm. is completely the wrong way to approach that game. That is the mindset that you're ruining the game for yourself. But I could never. It's the same thing where people are like. They have YouTube videos of where well, well, I attack this village of the goblins by tying a bunch of bombs to a platform and then tying the platform to a bunch of balloons and floated the bombs over to them and blew them up. And it's like, well, yeah, but why not just go down there and chop them yeah. up? Like, like, yeah, why, why go to like, all that trouble? Do that? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, like I'm exactly. replaying Metal Gear Solid 5 right great. now, and I, got, I finally managed to call in a supply drop so precisely that it knocked out a guard, and I think yeah, that's just wonderful. fun as hell. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Th- that hits your brain as pleasure. It doesn't mine yeah, because sure. for me i could have just shot him in the face <laughs> expressing my like my expressing my creativity through a game like that for some people that is the best thing they'll do all month and for me it doesn't it just doesn't hit me you could hook a little wires up to my brain and see that oh his pleasure sensor centers didn't light up when that happened uh it's just and that's just me but, but if that's so that's insurmountable because if i don't feel the pleasure of accomplishing and exploring and finding the things, 
and where the, the whole thing is like you uncover all of those seeds from those those leaf monsters. Morox seeds. And the Can seeds you even like buy more inventory. Yeah. But the only reason you need more inventory is because your stuff breaks so often that you need 8 million of them. And it's like, well, that's just you putting hurdles in front of me. Well, that's that's objectively silly that it's like well no it's all fun it's just it's something else fun to do it's like well i don't i didn't find it fun <laughs> i didn't i didn't get the pleasure out of finding those that's the end of the discussion there's nothing that's going to make me enjoy right i can't convince you like no I you do feel, like it though yeah, but if, you do like it no i totally agree uh it's why i it's why minecraft never clicked for me because uh, like I, the yeah, two exactly. things that you do or, i don't neither of them were like yeah i love this you know like Stardew Valley is a game where I played and then immediately like maximized a winery making wine out of starfruit and just had this machinery cranking out millions of dollars worth of wine. <laughs> and then I had, I had beaten the game. It's like, I've done it. I have defeated yeah. Stardew Valley. Well, that is completely not what that game is it's so for. Good, it's supposed to be this, this lax thing where you kind of slowly build and you explore. You chill and, and you find. express your individual right. creative and impulses. I, yeah. I, see, it's funny that Jason and I align on this, but not on Breath of the Wild. Because like, I feel the same way about Animal Crossing, where it's like, okay, like I unlocked all the tools and all the you know items I could build a place, and then I kind of built a shitty one. And I invited Maggie over, and then I was like, "Okay, so I've seen I've seen what the game is, which I feel like is what I get pleasure out of. I've seen it, you know. Like I, but I don't get pleasure out of now. I'm gonna make a really interesting manicured animal house. I'm not gonna do that, you know, because uh, I think it's like, or I'm gonna collect all of the furniture in this specific right. set, so I've got an entire house that's cherry blossoms, yeah. and I'm gonna I'm gonna spend whatever however many hours like finding." you know, popping balloons or whatever to collect every single one. Like, not yeah, gotta do that. <laughs> just not going to do it. Yeah. So it's good to acknowledge when you're, you, my brain is not the one that finds this loop pleasurable. I mean, I think that's right. Uh, absolutely. Uh, should we pass our final checkpoint? What do you think, Mike? Yeah. Cause weren't we supposed to be talking about resident yeah. evil? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so yeah, yeah, let's yeah absolutely. Do it. So, uh, that means we've, Combined two strange uh, objects to make a even bigger wing-shaped key, and uh, mm-hmm. and crossed into the final <laughs> castle, uh, or I don't know, been become bio mutants, I guess, because that's what happens at the end of this game. Spoilers. Uh, we haven't talked about the Duke enough. Do you care about him, the Duke? Who's the- uh, I mean, he's an attempt to riff on the what are you buying guy. They clearly wanted him oh, to become oh, a medic, and he did yeah. for a hot minute. But... He was, yeah. They really made, he was so close, I will though. just say, yeah. I like the idea of making the shopkeeper a memetic teleporting thing that has no way of, that like breaks the story. The, like, I like the what are you buying yeah, guy, yeah, yeah. and I like the Duke, and I hope they keep doing that. Where the next time it's just like, you know, a werewolf with a top hat who sells you shit, and you're like, "Why the fuck is he here now?" <laughs> I like, I, I enjoy that. Like, trope. did she know that he was like in her castle? The and first helping lady, her she, enemy. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, was he renting out that room? And she just can't get rid of him because he has a lease. Like, why? It's yeah. There's like a central elevator he chills in with all his even shit. In, when I mean, he's the size of a shed. <laughs> Well, no, but even in the castle, like, she can't go in that room. So when she's chasing you, you can take refuge in the Duke's room and mm-hmm. just chill in there and and buy new guns to kill her. 
and she's like right outside the door. It's like Let this is your happen. house. What about those uh, goddamn labyrinth puzzles? Terrible. Which labyrinth puzzles? Which ones are you referring to? You would have to move a marble. You have to move the marble yeah, through man. the with the, the, the three camera, skeletons. It's like you can't see. Yes, you can't see. The problem is like, the yes. camera. Yeah. yeah, you can't tilt it the right way to see what's yes. going on. It was very yeah. weird. Really uh, weird. That was not as frustrating as uh, the clank pieces of Ratchet and Clank, which we just talked about in another episode. But it mm-hmm. was close. Mm-hmm. It was close to that. It was yeah. close. But they're not mandatory. That's right. That's also, it. Also, you can completely skip these. They're just a thing sitting there, and you can win a jewel or something, and you know it's, it's fine. It's not forcing you to do it. Yeah. If this had been like you can't. Like the the lock to her castle door was having to solve this st- stupid marble thing. It would hit me completely different. Instead, it's just like this dumb little game that the Duke has in his office for some reason. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's lore to it, but who cares? They're the three. They're the crystallized skeletons of the three wives of someone who. Nope. Whatever. No, I, I refuse <laughs> to know that. I refuse to. Except there was that. lore about it, yeah. Um, I feel regardless, bad for the people that write this because that stuff because I know that it yeah. gets skipped by like the text only story of elements players. in any yeah. game. I would, I know they've got data about what percentage of people actually open those files long enough to read them uh, because it's got to be very small. And most yeah. people do not want to stop and read a, a short story in the middle of playing their video game. If I want to read a short story, I'll buy a book of short stories. Like that's just. I'm not in the mood to read when I'm I'm shooting uh, werewolves. It's not; those are two different activities for me. Yep, unless the unless it's a guide on how to make them stop dancing around and dodging your bullets magically, mm-hmm. I would read that book. One very very final thing that I I did note: Did you notice the controller, the haptic feedback controller stuff in this game? No, I was told it was there. Barely After, noticed it at all. No, I think I noticed one gun that its trigger pull was different, but only in a way that made me think that my controller was broken. And then I finally <laughs> realized, oh, it's a different shotgun. It's supposed to feel different. No, I you the game that I experienced the most haptic feedback for trigger stuff is uh, Black Ops: The Cold War game. Like they they went through and made every gun distinct. This felt very much like. We did a little bit of it, maybe, so that we can say we did it, but it's it's on all these platforms. So yeah, Capcom's yeah, a weird did, developer. They yeah, feel I'd, sloppy yeah. sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. 
There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry though, he's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, yeah, which segues nicely into uh, my vote, which is delete, Adam. <laughs> and I hope, I feel like it's a trend lately. I enjoyed this game. Perfectly fine game, but like not a tremendous game. I hope we we, we need to cover a real banger soon, I think. because we covered Bloodborne. I'm coming off as a sourpuss. We covered Bloodborne very recently. But, uh, I, I mean, just, I also am going to delete this. I think there's only like maybe one or two Resident Evils I would keep anyway. And this is not in that echelon. We talking two and four? Probably. Um, I could yeah. make a case for. Right I could answer. make a case for seven. You can make a case for yep. seven. I, I like know seven you could. A lot. <laughs> we'll do yeah. that sometime. Okay. I'll play it. I Great. swears. Jason, keep or delete. Delete. And if you're listening this morning, I know if you should buy it. I personally would buy it on discount. Uh, but yeah. that's you know your own budget for right. games it is a short game if you're the type of person who expecting like if i pay 60 bucks for a game i want to play, be playing this every day for the next two months this is not that game i i, I don't i know there's people that w- will enjoy playing through this over and over and over again and i know that because it's got this whole bunch of upgrades and points and stuff you can unlock that's only by beating the boss 25 times or whatever stuff like that um i personally don't feel like this game makes its gameplay loop satisfying enough to want to come back to it over and over again so i think for a lot of people it's going to be one one, done, w- for one sure. weekend a, a really long horror movie that you or whatever genre you would call this that you played and then it's done it feels like a game that back in the olden days i would have rented but that's not a thing yep. anymore that's true renting is i mean you this is the kind of game you get really excited for the moment it comes up on Game Pass for Xbox or PlayStation Now if you subscribe to that service. You know? Like, they're kind yeah. of bringing that back with yeah. us. Yeah, this is what... Uh, yeah, that, that that's... the And I think that's the big innovation of this generation might be that becoming common because the, the opportunity to just try games that otherwise you would not have poured the money into, I think that's very mm-hmm. big. Like, for instance, Mike, I'm going to be playing Psychonauts 2 in not too long a time for free on, on Game Pass. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah, yeah me too. Me so, too, brother. That's pretty good. Uh, I, I Just one last little remark about this game. It's not great for a Resident Evil, but Resident Evils are kind of a cut above a lot of your average, even shooter games. It also came out at a time. I mean, if you played it fresh, it came out at a time when there was a dearth of decent games. That's true. So it still felt like, well, we got something. Yeah, <laughs> you know, oh, I was never not going right. to buy it I, again. Yeah. I, I'm a PlayStation Five owner. What else am I right. going to do? That's right. What, right. <laughs> what else is there? Something it's, to play. I don't like roguelikes. I'm not going to play Returnal. I there's not. In terms of games that are in some way optimized for the machine, 
you know, there's just not that mm-hmm. many. No. But man, I really, I have a strong urge to have Jason back and wax poetic about a game he truly loves. I, yeah. I think that I would mean, be fun. I also like, we've never explored this idea, but like, I also like the idea of once in a while doing a, a revisit on a game. You know what I mean? Like a game that we've, we've, you know, we weighed in on and then like time passed. We're like, do we feel the same way about that? Because I think there's some games that we've talked about that I'd love to hear Jason's take on, you know, not specifically Breath of the Wild, but other games too. We have covered Borderlands before. We haven't covered three. And it it seems clear to me that Jason really likes that game. So I don't know. Jason, how do you feel about being on for Borderlands three? Sure. Because that's an example of a game. That's that's an example of a game that has so many flaws that I could not even begin, <laughs> and I forgive I forgive all yeah, of them yeah. because it's like anything you say is like oh the humor is dumb, uh, you know it's a lot of the shooting is imprecise and the grenades don't do anything after a while like anything you say I will completely agree you will find no louder critic of all those things, but it's a case where this is. This is the mystery of game design because the central loop and the looting and the exploring and the tone and the the look and everything I can just go back to it again and again. No, I, I never get tired of it, and I can't. I can describe all day long what I love about it, but I think to someone who tried to play it and never could get into it, all of the things they dislike, I would say, yeah, you're right. It's the performance is very bad on most machines. It's that's great. Uh, a lot of the level designs are, are weird. It's like I just I forgive. I, I don't know why it has vehicles still, um, but uh, no, it's my. I think my favorite of the last generation. My favorite game by far was Horizon Zero Dawn. Mm. I thought the lore, the look, everything about that was one of the best games. One of the five best games of my lifetime. Wow! Well, there you go. Let's cover Forbidden we West. We did do one of those. That's yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, if it if yeah. is looking, it for sure delayed? Is it for sure delayed? Yeah, it's a yeah for yeah. first quarter next year. Okay, yeah. Because the reports I've yeah, seen means are like somebody tech said demo it. was very thrilling yeah. though. It looked good. Okay. The envi- so much the environment was destructible. I liked that. Yeah. I mean, that's also gonna hopefully fix the why can't Aloy climb everything problem, right? Well. Yeah, it has a different system where you ping the, let's okay. get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But thank you so much, Jason. Uh, tell people where they can find you and where they can find your work. I'm a full-time novelist. The last book I wrote is a science fiction novel called Zoe Punches the Future in the Dick. Uh, you can find it wherever books are sold. I write stuff on the internet at a substack, which is jasonpargin.substack.com. Uh, it's just a blogging platform that you also could be a newsletter. You can just have the articles mailed to your inbox if you want. That's it. It's completely free. All posts are open. It requires nothing of you other than to go there. Red. Nice. Very cool. Adam, you got any closing remarks? Oh, no. I think, uh, I think we've, we've said quite enough about this game. Uh, yeah. All right. Then I'll wrap up by saying, hey, head on over to Apple Podcasts, find the Small Beans Audio channel, and toss us a review, preferably four or five stars, something in that range, Um, because that really helps move the needle for us. If you're someone who's like broke all the time, but you still want to support us, that's a good thing to do. We appreciate you. That's my final thought. Uh, Yeah, many thanks, Jason. Thanks for coming out and spending this time with us. I had a blast. Yeah, me too. Okay, bye. Work complete. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said. 
just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.